Well, good morning. So with that scripture, uh, we are starting a series, uh, a new series, as we anticipate Easter on April 17th, called a, The Road to the Cross. So when you think about a road, you think about a journey. I think about a road trip. Who likes doing a road trip? There's quite a few, quite a few. Not as good a response as I received in Lake Arak. It was almost unanimous. They loved road trips over there. I love them. Give me a coffee in one hand, this one, and a bag of spits to draw from with the other hand, and I can go for hours and hours and hours. And it's wonderful. Today would be a great day for a road trip, right? With the sun that's shining. There's one particular road trip that I took that really stands out to me. It was when I was in junior high. I'm the youngest of four siblings, and so the older ones had no interest in making this trip. But my parents really wanted to visit my dad's sister, uh, and so their goal was uh, Hillsboro, Kansas. Now, this was the first time that I had ever crossed the border. Yeah, I know, I'm from the prairies. We didn't get out much. And, um, and so they said, hey, you can invite your cousin along, James, who is also my best friend, and let's do this road trip down to Hillsboro, just outside of Wichita. And so away we went. And so their goal which was our goal because we were along, <laughs> was Hillsboro. But our goal, James and I, was every time we would stop for gas or a rest break or use a washroom, a meal, whatever, we would find a vending machine or, you know, at the little country store, uh, uh, the, the, the convenience store, we would find the cashier and we would buy a different kind of American pop soda, they call it, American soda or candy bar. Because, I mean, my first time to the States, I had never seen, I had never seen such a variety of things that I had no idea even existed. And anybody agree? You go into those little American convenience stores, and man, there's things that you just never seen before, never heard of. So this was amazing. We would eat the candy bar or drink the soda from that stop to the next one, but I would always buy one extra can of pop and not open it put it in the trunk in a safe place because when I got back, it was show and tell. I wanted to show everybody what existed out there, right? On the, on the road to the cross, which was God's journey, his road trip from heaven to return back to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God where he is now, he had one goal. He had one goal on the road trip and that was the cross. It was a stop that he could not miss. It was a stop he was determined to make. John 1.14 in the message says, the word became flesh and blood. He began the road trip with the incarnation and he moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us. He lived among us. And on his journey back home, there was one vital stop that he needed to make and from our text today, we're going to see that Jesus' journey to the cross would require three things, three requirements that are essential for the church today, because as followers, as, as disciples of Jesus, our goals must be the same as his. Our objectives must match exactly what Jesus did, what he said, where he went. So we're going to look at these three requirements and we're going to talk about what they mean for us. Number one, the road to the cross requires a resoluteness. A resoluteness 
When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's the first verse of our text today. In the NIV it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven to complete the trip, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In the New American Standard it says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. That word set, resolutely, determined, is a verb, obviously. It is an aorist, active, indicative an aorist verb is a, is a verb that points to a snapshot event. It is a, it is a, you can mark exactly when it happened. Active means the person who spoke it or determined in their mind is the one who completed the action there. And the indicative mood of this verb is a mood of assertion. Jesus decided firmly. He resolved. He made up his mind definitely. It was established, strengthened, in his mind, a firm purpose that was not going to change. And that purpose was to set his face to Jerusalem, where he would be put to death. It was the cross. Now, there's a bunch of parents here with young kids, and uh, we have grandkids in this category, so we have a two-year-old grandchild and she's getting to that stage of life, I don't know if you can identify, where it's, I do it myself. <laughs> it's so cute, though. As I said a few weeks ago, if we knew how you know, wonderful grandchildren are and cute they are, we would have just had them first and skipped the other, one, the other stage completely. Nonetheless, when you're parents, sometimes it's not cute when your kid says, I don't want that. No. Are we there yet? <laughs> Talking about road trips. And it's just in their mind and it's not going to leave. By the way, so, you know, skip a decade from age 12, or sorry, age 2, 3, 4, whatever. Age 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. <laughs> it can be the same thing all over again, okay? Don't mean to scare you, young parents. But that kind of determination that we see in strong-willed children which is not a bad thing, really. That kind of determination is nothing. It is nothing compared to Jesus' determination to his resolve to go to the cross. So he set his face to grow to Jerusalem when the days drew near for him to be taken up. To be taken up is the ascension. But here's the thing. To ascend first means a descension. And we see it in this road trip. Jesus descended from heaven to earth in the incarnation where he emptied himself, became a servant, became obedient to the will of the Father. He made his way to the cross where he was lifted up on the cross and then descended again into hell. He descended to pay the full price of our sin, to bear the full wrath of God, to take our shame, our iniquity, all of that, he descended to pay for it. And it was only after that, upon his resurrection, began the final ascent with the resurrection and back to the throne room of God. I listened to a sermon one time years ago, and I, I will never forget the title. The title of this sermon is The Way Up is the Way Down. Scripture tells us, right, that 
We need to humble ourselves that he may exalt us in due time. There is always a humiliation before an exaltation. Before he ascended, he set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem because he knew there was a final humiliation and dissension that needed to take place before he went back to the Father to complete the road trip. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul wrote to the church, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And to be taken up required being lifted up on that cross. The, God, the, the apostle John in chapter 3 said, right after the famous John 3.16, or right before, he said, in John 3.14, no one has descended into heaven except ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man might be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The path to the cross, this descension from heaven to being lifted up to the cross, to the descending to hell, to ascension back to heaven, was not for the faint of heart. It was not for the faint of heart. And that's why the resolute determination that Jesus had in his mind, in his body, in his spirit, in full trust of the Father. My devotions today were in Deuteronomy 21. And sometimes we read the Old Testament and we go, what on earth? Like, what does this all mean, right? And, and so when we, when we read the Old Testament through the lens of the cross, through of the lens of Jesus, the lens of the, God's love for us in the gospel, we understand now why a resolute determination was needed because this morning I read in Deuteronomy 21 that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Anyone who was found hanging on a tree or who was hung on a tree in the Old Testament, their body needed to be removed before sunset and taken care of because it's cursed. And Jesus bore the, think of it, think of it, friends. He bore the full curse of sin. He bore it in his body to appease the wrath of a holy and a righteous God so that you, so that I don't need to bear that wrath, but rather be set free, forgiven, redeemed, liberated because of Christ. You're so quiet. I heard one amen. Can I get another witness? Amen. Like that's the good news. That's the good news. And so secondly, the road to the cross requires a readiness. Verse 52, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. On the path to the cross, preparations needed to be made. People needed to be ready for what Jesus was about to do. And in our text today, we see not the very beginning. The beginning of the road to the cross was set in the mind of God in eternity. But the very beginning of Jesus' physical road to the cross that we see here in Luke 9 preparations were being made and you see people preparing themselves all the way and then on April 10th which is Palm Sunday this year we see you know Hosanna praise to him in the in the, in the highest prepare a way for the Lord prepare the way for the Lord and we see that on the final journey on the final approach that Jesus made into Jerusalem Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and yet, verse 52 tells us he went to Samaria. 
Well, what's up with that? On the road to the cross, Jesus intentionally went into a territory where people hated him because they hated all Jews. He went intentionally into an area where the Jews hated the Samaritans. Jews went out of their way to avoid Samaria, yet that is the path that Jesus chose because he loved his enemies. He loved those who hated him. And he had yet one final lesson to teach his disciples about this. Because readiness involves people of all nations, all tribes, all tongues, and all languages. I'm going to come back to that. The third thing that we see on this road to the cross was that it required a response. It required a resoluteness, required a readiness, and it requires a response. There are actually four responses here in this text. The first response was that of rejection, verse 53. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. They rejected him. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, the apostle Paul wrote to the church, for the word of the cross, or the message of the cross, is folly. It is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message is received two ways. There are some people who say, what on earth is that all about? Why did you need to go there? It's ridiculous. And to those who believe that the, power of, uh, uh, that the cross is the power of God into salvation, say, thank you. Jesus, that you went to the cross. It was magnificent. It was beautiful. It accomplished something that I could not accomplish myself. You took my place. Thank you. And Paul reminds us in the second letter to the Corinthian church that the God of this world, the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so some people reject Jesus. And this rejection of Jesus actually um, evoked or invoked two further responses. So you see two further responses within this first response. The first one is rage. This enraged the disciples, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just judge them now. Send them to hell now. Burn them now. It's what they deserve. To which Jesus responded with another response, his own response, and that was one of stern rebuke, verse 55. But he turned to his disciples and he rebuked them. Jesus didn't rebuke the Samaritans for rejecting him. He rebuked his disciples for judging them. And God's patience means salvation. He has a plan. We need to trust it. Look at what Peter wrote uh, to the church. 
2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus' disciples wanted his enemies to perish, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. I want them to reach repentance. I want them to be saved. I want them to trust in me. I want them to believe what I'm going to do just outside of Jerusalem. Let's never forget Jesus' heart and his intent for the world. John 3, if we carry on beyond verse 14 to 16 and 17, probably the most well-known verses in the world. You see somebody carrying the sign at every NFL football game. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen, our hearts are to condemn. The disciples wanted to condemn these Samaritans, but Jesus does not. He wants sinners to repent and to be saved. He does not condemn And he wants us to have the same heart and the same intent as we look at our neighbors. The people we often go at lengths to avoid, to walk around. Going again back to my junior high days, I don't know why I'm stuck in age 12, 13, whatever it was, but I was enthralled and enamored with a man named Nicky Cruz. Does anybody remember the cross and the switchblade, David Wilkerson? I read that book and I ate it up. And I imagined myself on the streets of New York City where Wilkerson was reaching out to the most hardened of people. And he went to the gangs of New York City and one of the most infamous gangs in all of the United States was the gang called the Mau Maus who quickly installed as their leader a man named Nicky Cruz who came from Puerto Rico. He was the fear, the most feared man, gangster in all of New York City. Ruthless. In fact, in order to be initiated into the Mau Maus, you had to go undergo an, a brutal initiation that if you survived was miraculous. Miraculous. Nicky Cruz went through that initiation and he survived. Most did not. And he went on to become their leader. David Wilkerson started walking the streets and reaching out to these hardened criminals, these gangsters. And he came across Nicky Cruz one time and he told Nicky that he loved him and that God loved him and that he wanted him to repent and to be saved. And Nicky Cruz laughed at him, but deep in his heart, he was afraid. He was afraid. And he said to Wilkerson, Come near me and I'll kill you. And Wilkerson replied, yeah, you could do that. You could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street and every piece will still love you. Every piece will still love you. That's the heart of God. Some reject Christ 
And the other response is rabidity. Bear with me. I'm a man of alliteration. Let me explain what rabidity means. Rabidity is an unrestrained excitement or enthusiasm, extreme, fanatical, overzealous, overcommitment. Are there anybody who have the type A++++ personalities here? <laughs> you are rabid. Not, you don't have rabies. You don't have rabies, but you are rabid. <laughs> it's true. Go look it up in the dictionary. Verses 56 through 58. And they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. These people didn't count the cost. They kind of wanted to rush in like Pastor Jeremy with his dinghy. And you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> Were you here last week? <laughs> if, if you have no clue what I'm talking about, ask Pastor Jeremy and Dan Sluice about a dinghy. All right, enough said. I call it a dinky dinghy. Didn't count the cost. These people didn't count the cost. Jesus, I'm in right now. I'll do whatever. I'll follow you wherever. And he says, you know what? Even the, even the animals and the birds have it better than you're going to have it. Uh, come again? Yeah, there's many nights, Jesus says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. People are hunting me. People want me dead. You prepared for that? Jesus would go on in Luke chapter 14 to tell his disciples very clearly to count the cost. He said, who starts a building program that has great financial commitment and you don't go to the bank, you don't you know, think about the amortization period and all the interest you're going to pay and the contractors you have to hire, they just jump in and say, oh, I just want to build this thing. Who does that, Jesus said. Who goes into, now this is appropriate to the times, who, who goes and declares war and they don't think about the cost? That's what Jesus said. So maybe this is why some people had a third response and that was reluctance. Verses 59 through 61, to another he said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet to another, I will follow you, Lord. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Reluctance, hesitation, deference, putting it off. I'll follow, Lord, but. I'll follow, Lord, if. I'll follow, Lord, when. I'll follow you, Lord, and. So Lord, let me bury my father was not in reference to a, a father who had already died. It was in reference to a responsibility that a son had to make sure that their parents were looked after when they died. And so this father was obviously aging, not yet dead, but the son in this case said, I don't want to miss it. I'm going to hang around until dad passes away. And they thought that this duty to parents excused him from his duty to Christ, but that's not what Christ had in mind when he called him. 
Let me take care of my family. You know, I, I need to provide for my children and then I'll think about serving you, Lord. Let me just put it off for a while. I think that's why Jesus said, those who leave father and mother for my sake will receive a hundredfold blessing. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, when you think about it, how can a dead person bury another dead person? They can't. So this is not a literal, let the dead bury their dead. What Jesus was saying was, let those who are ineffective, who are lifeless, who are lost to the, to the kingdom of God, those who don't want to follow me, let them take care of those responsibilities. You come follow me. Don't wait one, two, three, four years until you have it figured out or until this happens. I want you to come follow me. Jesus said, follow me. No ifs, ands, buts, whens. But the response that Jesus really wanted, that he asks for right at the very end, verse 62, is repentance. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Don't follow me and then turn back around. So the word repentance, to repent, has a very negative connotation in our culture, right? <laughs> but it's a very beautiful thing. To repent means you turn from a direction that you were heading, a direction that leads to destruction, away from the kingdom of God, away from Jesus and his full intent for your life. <clears throat> Repent means to turn from that and to turn toward Jesus and to trust him. To trust the path that he took to the cross. To trust in his finished work on the cross, at the cross. Turn to me, Jesus says, and don't look back. There's no turning back. I need a resolute decision. Do you remember Lot's wife, what happened when she turned back? So a couple of chapters later in Luke 13, Jesus said this, no, 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 I tell you, but unless you repent, unless you turn to Jesus and don't look back, you will all likewise perish. You will lead yourself to destruction if you don't turn. So how do we apply this? First of all, so let's go back. Let's think about in terms of our own resoluteness. Friends, we live in a cultural moment that is so critical and so fast changing that the church had better wake up and figure out what she's gonna do. Our culture is not just post-Christian. So like, we used to think back in the day, and I don't know how far back this is, and I don't know if it was ever true, that we lived actually in a Christian society. And then we finally came to embrace the fact that our culture is post-Christian. And I want to tell you, we're not anything post-Christian. We live in a blatantly anti-Christian culture. Anti-Christian. And we better accept that. 
110% anti-Christian. And we need a resoluteness, a determination like never before. But churches and Christians, left, right, and center, are buying into the culture like I've never seen instead of influencing culture like we are asked to do. And I am witnessing, we are witnessing churches and Christians peddling a message that is anything but the gospel. Anything but the cross. And we're promoting an all-inclusive social justice political message. And listen, as the time approaches for Jesus' return, which I believe more than ever is imminent, as you read 2 Peter, that the elements, that the earth are going to be burned up and laid bare. And I don't know what that means. Does it mean nuclear war? Does it mean wildfires that will never stop burning? I don't know what it is. But as we see those days approaching, we must, and as we see those days approaching, our ascension is near. Jesus said that he's going to return with a command. We will be caught up with him in the air and we're going to be with the Lord forever. And as we, set our, as we see those days approaching and where we will be taken up, we must set our face toward Jerusalem and nothing else toward the cross we must. And I'm not saying that oppression and justice for those who are oppressed and medicine and policy and liberation and inclusion and all of those things don't matter. They do. But hear me, we can talk and talk and talk about sanctions and mandates and vaccines and masks and safe injection sites and political movements and inclusion models and emission reduction and protests and the World Economic Forum till we're blue in the face and none of those things, friends, save us. But Jesus does. We need to set our face to Jerusalem. I read probably one of the best quotes that I've seen in a long time. And there's a lot of quotes and memes out there right now on Facebook and Instagram and every other social platform you can imagine. Please, friends, again, don't hear me saying that social justice and inclusion models and our economy and all those things don't matter. Creation, care, stewardship, they do. But we must turn our face towards Jerusalem. This quote that I read... It's on a t-shirt, actually, and it says this. Normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. Revelation 14. We must determine what's important. We must prioritize that, and we must hunker down. What's important is the cross. And so we need to be ready. Let's think about our own readiness. 2 Peter 3 again, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. They will melt in the heat and be dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. They will be laid bare. Are you ready? Are you prepared for that day? There's only one person who knows when that day will happen and it's not you and it's not me. And so are we ready? Don't let it take you off guard. 
And are you in the business of making a way for the Lord so that others are prepared and can hear the good news about Jesus? Who do you, here's a question, who do you, who do I tend to avoid? Who in my life needs Jesus? And are you spending time with them? Are you intentionally going through that area to meet with them? What are we giving our lives for right now? What are we giving our lives for? Just yesterday, I read, I saw a global news headline. I didn't read the article, but it showed a picture of a, a young Ukrainian woman in her early 20s. And it says, young Ukrainian volunteer killed. She was killed in the conflict just a couple of days ago. Killed delivering aid to a dog shelter in Kiev. She was a hero. Okay, for all the animal lovers out there, I'm sorry. I'm an animal lover too. I have a dog. I love my dog. My dog loves me. He's very happy to see me. He is rabidly happy to see me. (laughs) I had to throw that in there. Every day. But I thought... Here's a young woman with a future who literally gave her life to care, to go to a dog shelter. And there's people dying in conflict all around that need the good news of Jesus and they need food and water and clothing and help along the way. Where, where are our priorities? And how will we respond? I want to quote Franklin Graham. He wrote a book called The Name, and he said, the disciples gave their lives to spread the gospel. And by the time they died, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was known throughout the ancient world. To win the world for Christ, we will have to invest everything, even our very lives. Are you willing? Will you seek to become one with our Lord? Jesus said in Matthew, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay a hold of it. The force that he is speaking of is not a military force, not a force of coercion, but a very different kind of force, a force of unconditional love and sacrifice. How will we respond? Will we leave vengeance to God because it's mine? I will repay, says the Lord. Are we going to leave judgment to God? What is the condition of our hearts? Are they hard like the path where the seed of God, the word of God has no place to take root? Is it rocky with shallow soil and, you know, it sprouts up really quickly and then dies off? Is it thorny to the cares of the world and the next thing I have to do in my life, choke out God's work in my heart? Or is my heart soft where the word of God and the cross can penetrate deeply and bear fruit for the kingdom? And Jesus said, some will not commit, some will overcommit, some will undercommit, and they'll all miss the kingdom. But some will count the cost, make the sacrifice and commit, and they will enter the kingdom of God. What about you? Will you repent, turn, trust, and follow Jesus and not look back? Even as Jesus said to the person in our story, he says to us, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I want to conclude this morning with the words of an 
old hymn that is very simple. Sometimes I think we need, need to get back to the classics. Keep it simple. I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back. No turning back the world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Let's pray. Oh Lord, What a convicting message. And I start with praise and thanksgiving and adoration for your journey to the cross, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your resolute determination to bear my iniquity, to take my shame, to take my place where I should bear the wrath of a righteous, holy Father God who loves me deeply, deeply enough to put Jesus, to put you, Lord, on that cross instead of me, I praise you. And Lord, as I look at the state of our world and as I look at the future, I must admit there are times of trembling and trepidation. But I know who holds the future. And so, God, I need, we all need, a resolute determination like you to set our face to the cross to determine that we will lay down our lives in sacrifice and be ready for your return and be ready to point other people to the saving work grace of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, not to turn back. Thank you for the cross. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.